Good morning, and again, Merry Christmas. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us today in the midst of, of your and our Christmas morning. Um, I know it's, it's strange in some ways to have Christmas fall on a Sunday, but in, in ways it's also good and, and a blessing and probably um, appropriate. Uh, last week, we, we've been in a two-week, two-part series for Christmas, of course, and last week we talked about the joy of giving, and this morning we'll be talking about the joy of receiving. It's a simple message and a simple word for a topic that really in many ways is simple, but as we probably understand, also very complex uh, in understanding the gospel in God's heart and mind and all of its nuances and, and intricacies. But uh, at the end of the day, it's a pretty straightforward word. We're talking today about the joy of receiving, and we'll look at it from three perspectives. How not to receive, we'll learn that one from Herod. How to receive, we'll look at the shepherds for that, and we'll read from the Magi, the wise men, what to receive. We'll focus specifically on what the Bible has to say about getting, receiving with a specific eye to Christmas, the holiday that we're in the midst of right now. How and what we're to get this time of year, but also all year round. So just like last word, year, week's word, if you were here last week, uh, had sort of a, a, a now and a later on application, this morning's word is, is similar in that sense. Curious, real quick here, we don't normally do this kind of thing, but just a brief survey. Uh, you're going to have two choices, all right? So wait a moment till you've received your two choices, and then you can vote. I'm just wondering how many among of, uh, of us among us are, are givers and how many are receivers? Who really likes to give? That's your thing. You really like to look at all you selfless, altruistic people. Probably, okay, all right, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, you know, that, the pastor does that, right? He finally asks you to participate, and then he mocks you. I'm sorry. Who are the receivers you really like to get? You, I'm going to raise my hand, all right? I like to get gifts. I do. I like to give also. I have to make excuses, right? All right, yeah, we, we like to give and receive. I read that uh, two men were walking through a field one day when they spotted an enraged bull Instantly, they darted toward the nearest fence, as any of us would. The, the storming bull followed in hot pursuit, and it was soon apparent that they wouldn't make it. Terrified, the one shouted to the other, send up a prayer, John. We're in for it. John answered, I can't. I've never prayed in public in my entire life. But you have to, implored his companion. The bull is catching up. All right, John panted. I'll say the only prayer I know, the one my father used to repeat at the table. Oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. Now, that's one kind of receiving that I'm sure none of us are interested in, getting what we don't want, receiving pain. But most of us like to get gifts. We do. Most of us have gifts that are coming our way or already have this weekend. We'll start this morning with our first point, how not to receive. What do we call it when someone doesn't know how to receive, how to get or accept a gift? They're ungrateful, right? That's what we call it. They have no gratitude 
No appreciation. Maybe it's because they're selfish, entitled, or just plain rude. That's not how to receive, is it? No, most of us would agree. There's actually more about it, though, that's wrong than it just being hurtful. You're, You're actually robbing the other person's blessing, their ability to give when you refuse to receive. Now, One of the characters in the Christmas story had some major issues with receiving. And it was a serious heart issue for this guy, which is where it's most important that we grow and learn when it comes to receiving, getting. So let's take a moment and read about Herod, who I mentioned earlier. He actually comes in at the end of the Christmas story that in our culture and time, we've kind of squished together, haven't we? We've sort of included that half of the Christmas story, even though it took place probably about two years later. But Jesus, having been born in a manger a long time before, now he's in a home. And and the land, though, in which he was born uh, of the Virgin Mary and his his stepfather, Joseph, Herod, was the ruler, and he was an evil ruler. He was suspicious and fearful of anyone who posed a threat to his position and power, Herod was. History tells us that he'd actually killed many of his own family members, those who posed a threat to his kingdom, to his rule. In fact, it was said at that time that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's Son. Now, does anyone have a pet pig at home? There, it was possible that there could have been. There was a time. Do we, do we all remember the potbelly pig fad that kind of came and went? I knew some people that had potbelly pigs. Maybe you got one for Christmas. No. Now, anyway, probably not. We get the idea. Herod was so mean and evil that pigs had it better than people, animals, or at least they had a better chance. Let's read about Herod and see what he can teach us about how not to receive. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, this sounds good, the words that Herod is speaking. He seems to be genuinely interested in finding and worshiping Jesus, but but was he? Now, in my message, I had engineered the possibility of some younger congregants being with us. I think most of them are, are satisfying the needs of their flesh uh, in front, no, I'm just kidding, in front of the tree this morning. But I wonder, I wonder, um, 
are there, I, I want someone who's eight or nine or so under, uh, do we have anyone that's willing to give an answer? Raise your hand if you feel like you're willing to participate. Okay, all right, we've got one back there. Anyone outside that's willing to maybe provide an answer if I were to call on them? Okay, all right, okay. Do you think Herod's intentions were good or bad? Yes or, or good or bad? That's the answer. Just tell them the right answer, Mom. It's okay. No, I'm kidding. Bad. Bad. Would we agree with our young participant? Yes. Herod's intentions were bad. So we know, reading later on in the story, that Herod's intention was to identify Jesus where he was in order that he might take his life. We read later that the Lord warned the Magi, the wise men, not to tell Herod where, in fact, they would find Jesus. And instead, they chose to sneak out of town another way. Now, uh, Herod, learning this, was infuriated. And, of course, he had his soldiers go into Bethlehem and take the life of every male child to and under if you were with us for the Shepherd of Bethlehem a couple Friday nights back, you saw that really come to life through Pastor Bill Welsh's presentation. Clearly, this was not the right way to receive Jesus because we're talking about how not to receive, aren't we? Herod's fear and pride it kept him from enjoying God's greatest gift. Think about that. God had given in the most extreme way possible, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet this man who so desperately needed salvation refused to accept it because he was so concerned about hanging on to his own power and position, onto his pride. Fear and pride will keep you and I from receiving too, most importantly from Jesus. Pride keeps us from seeing our need. It blinds us to it, really, from receiving what we are in desperate need of because we're so convinced of our own self-sufficiency. I have it all figured out. I have everything under control. I don't need anything that you have to give me. Wow. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. It just caused an uproar in the city. Instead of being excited that a Savior had come, he could only see the problems that this would cause for him. And I would just take this a step further and say that very often we resist the working of God in our lives and in the most extreme way we resist Jesus Christ himself for this same reason. We're afraid of the challenge to our own authority. We're afraid of the upset that Jesus is going to bring to our lives when, in fact, all he wants to do is save us. So rather than receive the gift, Herod sought to attack it. Fear inhibits us as well. In our fear, we believe that what we need actually poses some threat to us, that it will, in fact, harm rather than help us. And it can be irrational, it can be rooted in a lack of understanding, it can present, prevent us from receiving the, the wonderful blessings that the Lord has for us. Verse 8, 
And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And as I mentioned earlier, we know that Herod's plan was to take the life of this young king. So these twin, twin sins, pride and fear, these weaknesses, they will cut off our ability not only to receive well from people, but also, and more importantly, from God. So having covered how not to receive, Herod is pretty easy to identify in the Christmas story as the main villain, all right? He, he is the bad guy. So we, we could definitely look at him and go, okay, I'm not going to be like Herod. Let's talk about what the Bible has to say about how to receive, though. And there are plenty of those in this account that we could learn from in that way. Now, obviously, pride and fear, the pride and fear of, of Herod, it kept him from celebrating Christ's birth and arrival and instead made him just want to get rid of him. And that same sin in our lives, it'll keep you and I from receiving and it'll prevent us from enjoying God's best in our lives, let alone from knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ. So we're going to back up in the Christmas story to that, that, that night in Bethlehem when Jesus was, was born and learn from the shepherds about receiving. And, and you know, very often it's, it's humble people. It's people who are in need who we can learn something about receiving from. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I loved that song that uh, Pastor Frankie and Mike led us in during worship, A Million Angels Fall. And I was thinking about this scene as we sang those words. They were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Isn't it interesting, just as an aside, who the Lord chose to announce the arrival of his king to? Shepherds. Working people living outside, not in a palace, though keep in mind those in the palace did know. They would learn about Jesus as well. Everyone has an opportunity to hear, don't they? God makes sure that his word makes its way to each of our hearts. What we do with it is up to us, and that's what we're talking about this morning. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them, we read, in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. There's a big difference between the shepherds 
and Herod isn't there. Humility. These shepherds made humble by life were in a position to see their need. They understood their personal desperation. Isn't it interesting that the way God chose to save humanity, the way he introduced himself into the world was first to humble himself by taking on the frailty of our condition, humanity, and manifesting that in a child, a baby in a manger, a feeding trough, such that any who would come and and receive him and worship would have to bow down. We can't, we can't know this Savior. We can't receive this gift and know the joy of receiving that's, that's understood so clearly through Christmas and still retain our pride. We have to humble ourselves. We have to agree with God and acknowledge our need for a Savior. These shepherds, they knew their need their own personal desperation, humility. It causes us to look for answers, for help, to seek it out, to be open when it's presented to us. When when you go to the doctor and, and the checkup goes fine and there's no problems, there's no need to be worried. There's no need to accept the doctor's advice. He gives you a pat on the shoulder. I'll see you next year. But when the test results come back, different than what we were expecting, and there's cause for concern. We've been there, right? I have. And, and the doctor wants to walk you through the problems. And what now, I'm, I am humble. What do you have to tell me? Because I don't know how to figure this out on my own. And we can take that, obviously, to its spiritual conclusions as well. But just in terms of the practical, seeing and understanding our need. So it was, verse 15, when the shepherds... And the angels, excuse me, had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Do we have the humility, you and I, the perspective to see our own need and appreciate what God has done for us? And just so you know, Uh, This is not a word picking on someone who's only come because it's Christmas, all right? This is a word for God's people. Because how are we ever going to grow and move into what God wants us if we're too big for God to work in? That humility that he calls us to in salvation, it not only has to continue, God help us, it's got to grow as we get closer to heaven. What did John say when he saw Jesus? He must increase and I must decrease. And if that decreasing in our lives doesn't continue, we are guaranteed to miss God's greater working both in and through our lives. We'll miss the things that he wants to give us. Appreciation. These shepherds, they just accept the good news. But they did so With appreciation, they they were changed by the news and the gift that they'd received. And they could not help but tell others. Gratitude, it liberates our hearts to accept a gift and then to seek to share it with others. It's like the illustration that's been told before, comparing our experience along these lines in Christ to a, a beggar who's found bread and is just desperate to tell 
the other beggars where the bread is. Is that still the posture of your heart and mine? Because that's really where the Lord wants to keep us in that place. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. Verse 20, then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Gratitude. In learning that God had sent his son into the world, they responded very simply and in, and in, in worshipful appreciation. And they could not help but tell others. They weren't bothered or threatened by this news like Herod. They reached out with both hands and grabbed hold of it. Then turned to share it with others. How have you and I, how have you and I responded to the gift of God sending his son into the world? Not just when you first raised your hand or walked forward. How have you responded today? Are you still a, a beggar that's received bread? How we need to be careful to preserve that posture before the Lord in our hearts. So many in the world today are like Herod. Maybe not murderous like him, but they're threatened by Jesus. And we wouldn't say that outright, but we're threatened by his kingdom. Because the more territory that Jesus claims in our lives, the less we're able to control. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Pastor? <laughs> Because that's hard, and it's hard for me. To know Jesus better, to grow in relationship with him, it means I have to die, I have to decrease. It means I have to give up more territory, more rights. Lord, that's yours, that's yours, that you want this too? Yes, because to the, the degree that you and I can die to our flesh, to the degree that you and I can surrender territory, our lives, is the degree to which Jesus Christ is manifest in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the, the, that treasure in earthen vessels that shines through. We'll talk about that as we finish this morning's message. Receiving that greatest gift. What to receive, our last point. Most of us by this time in the morning, all right, we've, we've opened gifts or, or at least a card, probably a stocking, or maybe that's coming later. Uh, we have not, well, okay, my parents came yesterday, and so we opened gifts yesterday. My mom always brings stockings for the kids, but we, we've, the Hales have sacrificed. I want you to know, no gifts have been opened, all right? except something I got from my wife that she opened three weeks ago. It's just, just how we roll. Um, it was never wrapped to begin with, but anyway. Who's really excited about a gift that they've opened up? Anybody want to tell us about a gift that they got? Favorite gift? I'll tell you about a gift that I got. No, I'm just kidding. I can't think of a gift I got because I haven't opened any yet. We'll move on. Frankie, what gift did you get that you're excited about? Look at that. Pastor Frankie wore a new shirt for us this morning. That's awesome. Yeah, there we go. Let's give him a hand. I don't know why, but let's applaud him. <laughs> I was trying to break things a little bit up with, uh, yeah, you get the idea. It didn't work, though. So we'll move on. 
Personally, I justify the gifts under the tree in our, you're visiting and thinking, wow, he's awkward. Trust me, you have no idea. This is, it's just, it's Christmas, so why not? Personally, I justify the gifts under our tree by recognizing that really they, they are a picture and a parable of God's greatest and greater gift that he's given through his son, Jesus Christ, as is represented in our commemorating his birth on December the 25th. And I see it that way. I look at the tree and, and the lights that are on it, and I think of, I think of the lights that were in the sky uh, over the hills of Bethlehem that night. And I look at the gifts, and yes, I think of the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, but I think of God giving the greater gift through Jesus Christ. For understanding what we're to be most concerned about receiving, we turn back to the wise men, the Magi. Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, where we left off in the Gospel of Matthew. When they heard the king, remember, this was a, a while later, and Herod found out that the wise men, the Magi, had come into town, and he asked them, what are you doing? And they said, well, we're, we're following this star. It's proclaiming that a king, a great king, is to be born. It was prophesied... Uh, Herod would later find out in the Hebrew scriptures. And Herod said to them, well, rather, when they heard the king, after he had told them, come back and tell me where you find this king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country in other ways. So the Lord gave them that warning, saying, no, don't believe Herod's story. His intentions are evil. In fact, you should leave town, sneak out. Now, who are these magi? Who are the wise men? Some of you know the word actually means one of a learned and priestly class. And these came from the east. They were most likely Persian. Some believe that they knew of this coming king because of the Hebrew scriptures and words of prophecy that were brought to that land when the children of Israel lived in exile in Babylon and later when it was taken over by the Medo-Persian empire. They were experts in math, astronomy, and the sciences of the day. They studied the stars, but also the scriptures very likely. And they understood a correlation between this special star over Bethlehem and the foretold birth of a king. We don't know how many there were. Uh, church tradition has come up with names for them. We, we kind of have assumed three because of the three gifts. But in reality, this was probably a very large entourage that, that would have simply by its sheer size garnered the attention of those in Israel. It's fascinating. These magi, the wise men, though near royalty and certainly powerful, they were wealthy, intelligent, they were authoritative. They knew, though, that they had a profound need. They needed what Jesus had, who he was. And though we tend to focus on the gifts that they brought and received. In reality, they knew that they needed to not only worship Jesus, but to receive something from him. He had something that they needed. He 
was someone that they needed desperately. They recognized that they were not sufficient on their own. They needed what God was offering, a savior and a king. Of course, these, these magis, they understood this child was more than some earthly king. They perceived that this was the king of kings, and when they came, they bowed and worshipped before him. They knew that Jesus wasn't simply to be acknowledged through gifts alone, but that he was instead to be hailed and, and worshipped, to be received in every sense of the word. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. These who had been called, no doubt, into the presence of kings, these who lived like royalty, came before this, this child and fell to the ground in worship. There was something very unique about these wise men. They easily could have thought themselves above the need for a savior. This is, this is a king for another culture and people. Dismissing him as someone to be recognized, but not to be worshipped. It would have been easy that their background, authority, and power, it could have made them reluctant for a hundred reasons refusing to acknowledge him. But they had within them, like the shepherd, despite all the, all the reasons that could have worked to the contrary, a humility and an appreciation. They understood their need. Unlike Herod, they laid aside any pride or fear, and instead they worshipped him. They experienced the joy of receiving. Pride and fear, it will keep us from not only receiving blessings from others, preventing us from growing and experiencing blessing in this life. But it'll more importantly keep us from receiving God himself. We'll be left destitute and poor spiritually. But on the other hand, humility and appreciation readies us to live our lives with open hands and hearts, expecting and anticipating good from others, and most critically, from God himself like the shepherds living with an awareness of our own need. It'll keep us, that humility will keep us in a position of living and looking to receive those gifts that we need most, which our God is all too give, eager to give to us. Understanding that God's greatest gift is a savior and a king, it changes everything. When we understand what God is offering, the gift that he's given in his son, Jesus Christ, that has come both to rescue us and to bring us into his kingdom, we can't help but accept him. Receiving this greatest gift of his life into our own. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. We'll close with this. In this, the love of God was manifested. It was revealed and shown toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might be saved through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All that means is that Jesus took our place, punished for the wrong that we've done, that he is our salvation. 
We receive this gift the same way you received a gift under the tree around this time of year. Somebody puts it in your hands and you'd say thank you and open it. That's it. By agreeing that we are wrong and God is right. By surrendering our lives to him, by inviting and asking him to take over our lives. A story is told by an unknown author that uh, long ago there ruled in Persia a wise and good king. He loved his people. He wanted to know how they lived. He wanted to know about their hardships. And often he dressed in the clothes of a working man or a beggar and went to the homes of the poor. No one whom he visited thought that he was their ruler because of his disguise. One time he visited a very poor man who lived in a cellar. He ate the coarse food the poor man ate. He spoke cheerful and kind words to him, then he left. Later, he visited the poor man again and disclosed his identity by saying, I am your king. The king thought the man would surely ask for some gift or favor, but he didn't. Instead, he said, you left your palace and your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You ate the food I ate. You brought gladness to my heart. To others... You have given your rich gifts. To me, you have given yourself. The King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave himself to you and I. The Bible calls him the unspeakable gift. This Christmas, may we receive him, God's greatest gift, his love incarnated. Jesus came, lived, died in our place, and rose again, that we might be forgiven, made new, that we might have the sure and certain hope of heaven, that we might be his and live for him today, that we might experience this greatest joy of receiving. Would you stand with me as Pastor Frankie and Mike rejoin me to help us close with a final song? Let's take a moment and, and pray if we could. Heavenly Father, we pray that, God, you would pierce our hearts in the ways that only you know are needed, that we might receive your best work in and for us. This morning, if you're here with us while we're praying, and you've yet to receive and experience this greatest gift, that God has sent in his son, Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe. He, he's crossed over time and space that your life might be redeemed, your sins forgiven. That you might be healed in the most profound ways possible. Your name written in the book of life, heaven made yours. And life in Christ a reality today. If you've not received Jesus Christ and that's your desire, if you want to turn from your sin and follow him, would you raise your hand and I'm just going to lead you in a quiet prayer in a moment here. If that's anyone in this moment, shoot up your hand and I'll acknowledge you and we'll pray. Lord, for any right now who would say yes to Jesus, whether here with us in person or listening online, you can surrender to the Lord 
speaking to him very simply in this way. Father, I want to humble myself. I don't want to cling to my pride or fear. I want to humble myself and I want to appreciate what you've done on my behalf, that you came in and through your son, Jesus Christ, that I might be saved. I want to turn from living my life my way and I want to follow you. Would you forgive me for fighting? Forgive me for doing it my way. God, I want to yield to you. I want to receive, Jesus, your gift of life. Write my name in your book. Make a place for me in heaven. Help me to live for you today. I just want to take a moment as well for those that are here that maybe you already know the Lord, but there are things in this message today that hit home, things that you're wrestling with in your heart. Continuing to grow, continuing to decrease that Christ might increase. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't need to see it. But if that's you, you can pray something like this in your heart. Father, my sin is pride. My sin is thinking I know better. My sin is that though I'm your child, I keep acting like I'm king and ruler over my own heart and life. I'm sorry, would you forgive me? I want to bow my knee again before you, Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I want to pray that you would change me, that I might continue growing, that I might be used by you, painful though it might be. I know I'm following you, Jesus, because you humbled yourself. You became like a servant. I want to have that attitude. I want to have that spirit in me so that I can serve you as you served me and others. In Jesus' name, amen.